1: You see, it's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square.
0: Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times
1: Square. Ho, 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 ye of little faith. Hey, I'll tell you what's up before we start. Okay. While we were recording, I get this text message from your roommate, and I have to read it because it's really sweet. She goes, ladies, I loved the High Fidelity episode. It was so spot on in every way. And then she said, I would be specific, but it would be the longest text ever. So thanks, Megan.
0: That's That's funny.
1: And now I'm texting her that she made a cameo in this episode.
0: <laughs> oh, um, so this episode is um our usual length for a regular episode, but it is quite different than our usual episode yes. because we are not going to talk about just one show. We are actually just going to spend this time talking about a person, um, and we mentioned him back in. I think probably August, we had an episode where we talked about um, his passing, but his memorial service is coming up in the next, by the time you get this, it may have happened already. Mm. Um, So this episode is completely dedicated to Hal Prince. Um, And young people who might be listening to us, because sometimes we do have teenagers, if you don't know who Harold Prince is, You're gonna want to look him up. Yes, because he changed. He he
1: changed the face of theater.
0: He 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 and Stephen Sondheim. (laughs) They there a lot of us. The reason that we are obsessed with theater is because of the things that they made, and not only because of the things that they made, but there were people older than us who became obsessed with the things that they made, and then they made. Yeah. that we then became obsessed with and the reason i mean and and there are some things that you all love um without necessarily knowing who Hal prince is like there are things that you all love that were only created because a young person saw what he made Mm -hmm. and then wanted to make something else and lin-manuel miranda is Mm -hmm. one of those people so if you love hamilton if you love in the heights the only reason we have those shows really is because of Hal Prince and what he made. Yeah. Because that that and uh, <laughs> Jonathan Larson, those those men are like why we have those shows. Yeah. Um, so, so during this episode, we're going to talk about his life and we're going to talk about his contributions and geek over them <laughs> super hard. Ebony
1: grabbed a bunch of tissues <laughs> just before starting the recording. I
0: did. I, when he passed. I'm not a crier, and everyone who knows me knows that. I'm not a big crier, but I I couldn't pull it together mm. um, much of the day when I heard he died, and I didn't understand. I was like, why? I The whole day sitting at my desk, and I wasn't like, uncontrollably weeping because I would have had to leave and go home, <laughs> but, but it was just like tears would just randomly, I would think about like a show would pop in my head mm-hmm. and like a moment. Cause like, so for me, um, my mother was like the impetus for me beginning to love the theater and she's passed away five years now. And one of the many moments that we had were, there was one's Sundays she would and I may have told the story. I don't know but Sundays she would she was a teacher and so on Sunday nights She would be finishing up grading papers before school the next day And there was one Sunday evening where my brother and sister were playing outside and I think I was having back pain or something and I was in the living room and uh, My mom and I used to do like the TV guide channel and we'd wait and we'd see what was on television and We'd watch it together and so this one afternoon, I'm sitting on the floor, and she's like, Eb, go to the, the TV Guide channel. So I do, and I'm sitting there while she's grading papers, and I'm calling out things that look interesting <laughs> if I don't know what they are. And I we got to um, West Side Story. <clears throat> yes. And, and it said musical. And I was like, West Side Story. Mom, what's that? And she goes, Oh, that's good. Go to that. Go to that. <laughs> and I've not been the same since as I feel most... I was like... Truly. What is that? And the the only reason there is a West Side Story movie is because there was a West Side Story musical that was saved by Hal Prince because yeah. a producer pulled out at the last minute and Stephen and Hal were best friends and Stephen Sondheim had been talking to Leonard Bernstein and all these great men who were making this musical about his friend for months. They weren't really moving towards adding him as producer. This woman named Cheryl bowed out at the very last minute, and the show was going to lose a bunch of money. And Stephen gave it one last push. My friend Hal is a producer. Can we please add him to the roster? They did save the show, and that's why we have West Side Story. (laughs)
1: I it's truly incredible to me it's truly incredible and the relationship between Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince from let's just say from birth because I don't know I mean I really don't know how long they were childhood friends no college friends
0: so so um it was South Pacific so they were about let's see um Hal would be 92 next year, and Stephen will be 90 next year. So they were two years apart. So Hal was 19, Stephen was 17 when okay. they met. That's how old they were. Yeah. So they, I mean,
1: but their children. relationship was yeah. lifelong yeah. at that point.
0: Totally. And um, they met at South Pacific. I think was was what I read or what I saw it was South Pacific. I know it's a uh, Huge, weird, full-circle moment for Hal because the yeah. first show he saw was... It wasn't the first show show he saw because the first show he saw was um, Julius Caesar. But um, he saw South Pacific, and met Stephen, and then the show that's still on Broadway 30 years later is at that same theater that he directed called <laughs> Phantom of the Opera yep. at the Majestic Theater. And so it's this, like, crazy... His story is just
1: it's just crazy. It's okay, and we both watched the PBS. Yeah. Um, it wasn't great performances, was it? No,
0: it's it's called American Masters. American Masters, it was a, thank it was
1: you. One of those, yeah. Um where it's like basically a, a documentary about mm-hmm. him and it's just really spectacular. Yeah, but he tells the well story, done. but he he the way that he paints it is so it's so him and in the way that he would create Mm -hmm. where he was talking about South Pacific and he said you know it was cinematic you know he would watch the 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 stage and before the last scene left there would be a scrim that would come in and the whole next scene would come in and then that scrim would come out and and then they were able to create these like close-up moments simply by using their lighting and he was so impacted by that 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 is ultimately his style and where his creative um trajectory yeah. came from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in just a massive way yeah he's incredible he really and to hear him talk too because he's so humble mm-hmm. and so modest like he'll just be telling a story about how he created the you know, you know when um, uh, so basically what'll happen is that there's a couple of people that are sitting on stage and um, you'll kind of hear some mumbling it'll be a little bit weird and there's just a, a bunch of set pieces and they're all covered up with silk and um, uh, you know you'll hear some it'll just make you feel a little uncomfortable and then out of nowhere you, uh, you you'll you know you'll hear this kind of like a crack and uh, Um, And then this, you know, this man who's, who's high above, high above, he'll, uh, he'll just start talking and he'll start selling things. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you've got this veiled woman in a wheelchair and she'll say 25, you know, and and, Mm -hmm. in the way he Mm -hmm. described, that's the beginning of Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I had to kind of watch and just listen to this documentary because I was dealing with dog vomit, but (laughs) (laughs) that's a story that you should have heard last time. Um, but I overheard him talking about this particular scene and I went, I know that show (laughs) because I did that show, but I was in that scene. Like I was on stage during that whole thing, but it was also like, nobody understood. None of us actors understood why the heck we were there because my partner and I were behind the curtain Mm -hmm. in the dark, Okay. Mm -hmm. Essentially. Uh, Just to stage right of the auctioneer who is way up on a a ladder Mm -hmm. um, getting ready to plug in the chandelier. And then you've got all the people before the curtain and they can all be seen, but some of them are in the dark as well. And we're just (laughs) clapping, Uh you know, if, if someone's, if they sell something, but you know, he did. It, this was funny, too, because he mentioned this as well. And we were all told, yeah, just don't worry about clapping. Just kind of change it up, you know, so that it's erratic. And I, was, I was just like, OK, Hi. I don't understand, but OK, whatever. It was not until I saw the documentary that I finally <laughs> understood what the heck I was doing. Finally. But I love that about him, too, because he was so forthcoming with his actors. Yeah. Uh, it said in one of the scenes in the documentary, um, and I can't remember who was talking at this point, but she it was a woman and she said he was a maid of Susan Stroman. Okay. She said he was so good about explaining the entire arc of the scene yeah. before he blocked it yeah. so that by the time he had people on the stage, everyone kind of just knew mm-hmm. how to do it and how to do it naturally.
0: I think that's birthed from, and he said this, you know, he loves actors. Yeah. And I think I think some directors don't like actors. Yeah. And that's a problem. Oh, yes. And for people who, directors who love actors and have, a true appreciation, understanding and reverence for the fact that they're pouring their heart and soul yeah. into a character and laying it on display for everyone to judge and critique.
1: Well, and, and let's be <laughs> honest. Yes. People do talk about the directing, but if we fail, yeah. it's we, that we, it is the actors on stage mm-hmm. that fall flat on their face. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so it's, it, it's it's really wonderful to hear somebody yeah. who is that revered and that respected also respect the craft of those that he understands that this is a collaboration and understands yes. that like, if I don't tell you where we're going and what we're doing, and I don't, because one thing he said, and I love this, he said, you don't tell Angela Lansbury how to act. <laughs> Yes. You know, I was like, yes. no, yes. she knows what she's doing. You have to trust your actors.
1: Yes. And if you can't <laughs> trust them, then you shouldn't hire them. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is what I love too. Cause you mentioned, he was like, the only thing that I really don't like about this business is the auditioning, Yeah. but he said it he, because he was he like, said, it's just awkward and you don't, he, you know, you're not, it's a terrible system.
0: Yeah. He said, he said, Oh, I wrote the quote down. Yes, please read like, it. It's so, I'm I sure
1: said, it's the exact same thing that I'm thinking of right now.
0: <laughs> no, to- totally. <laughs> because I remember I was like I, like, I don't like auditioning people. Okay, this it's, is his quote. Yeah. Auditioning is the worst possible way to cast a show except for any other way. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. It was so brilliant, but yes. he said it in his Hell Prince way. Uh-huh. So it was like, it, wait, it took me a second to be like, oh, oh. <laughs> It's so true, though, but yeah. I'm so glad that he finally, you know, that someone had the guts to finally say it. Yeah. Be- and, and nothing's going to change, obviously. No. It's been that way for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's not going to get any worse, but he mentions why. And one of the reasons, he says, is that some people are just really good at auditioning. Yeah. And this reminds me, I was listening to NPR earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually listening to WNYC, but a lot of NPR plays on WNYC. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and there was a story of a girl who couldn't get in. She's doing like community college because she can't get good a good enough ACT score, SAT score, whatever it was, the test that she was taking because she's just not good at taking tests. Mm-hmm. But she's got amazing grades, mm-hmm. which is why you know she's able to take the classes that she's taking right now. Anyway, but like how the testing system is antiquated and it's geared towards the rich and the, the people that are able to afford to, um, you know, to have their kids sleep well and eat well and get a tutor if they need to. And so like, it's, it's the skewed system. And it reminded me so much of the auditioning system because it's true. There are just some people that are so skilled at auditioning. I am not one of them. I do amazing work when I'm rehearsing, when I'm in the show, Mm -hmm. but my auditions are terrible. And it is only by the grace of the people that have seen me, like Mm -hmm. Kristen Blodgett Mm -hmm. and Patrick McCollum, who were able to see past the nerves and past... The, you know, just anxious and desperation probably (laughs) uh, to see there's potential there. And that's what Hal was saying as well. He's like, I, you know, I, I like to look past all of that and I want to see the people that will succeed right. with me. Right. And that's what I loved about him too. And you yeah. said it just a second ago, collaboration. His whole life was about collaboration. Yeah. That is so hugely important because I it think is. that there are so many people that are in this business, especially in the directing and the producing side that are just like me, me, me. I'm the most important. I'm the top of the ladder. And everyone else, you know, it goes down from there, which is not the case at all. It's a big, huge circle.
0: It really
1: it is. And I, it needs to be.
0: I um I am a novice at this directing producing thing but like you know I I had you know this last show I had an actress who was like I mean not like she was writing her life story and she's bloodletting on the page uh. and then she has to go and perform her life story on a stage in front of people and so, like, when you, when you understand that you are facilitating a space in which a human being is bearing mm. scars, wounds, bloodletting, and just putting it all out there on display to, like I said before, be judged and critiqued, and, and for your entertainment or your connection to so that you can feel like as an audience member that you too have been seen and heard and that somebody is telling a a part of your story so that when you as a producer or director understand what your actors are giving to you Mm -hmm. and an audience you should have the most reverence for the work that they're doing Mm. and the most respect for the work that they're doing because it is so extremely hard. And without your actors, you have nothing. Right. If you're a producer, director, who are you directing if you don't have an actor? Nothing. You, you know what you're directing. You're going to do like Hal did when he was a little boy, and you're going to have a cardboard box, <laughs> and you're going to have some toy soldiers and nurses, and that's going to be your show if you don't know how to have respect for... For your actors and if you don't understand that it is absolutely a collaboration and you have nothing without them
1: yeah yeah
0: i mean it's just the, like you just don't have anything if you don't have them mm-hmm. i don't i don't understand this this hierarchy i'm better than you situation because you're not you mm. don't have a show right without them right right <laughs> Right, it makes no sense to me. It
1: really doesn't. I mean, that is the uh, the kind of crux to this world, yeah. where we're made to feel almost less than. And I'm just going to go on a tangent because you know that's what I love to do. Um, <laughs> and so, oh shoot, I just lost my
0: train of thought.
1: <laughs> what were we just talking What's
0: about? About oh, collaboration. Thank you.
1: Wow, that's old person brain right there. Um, so you've got. Your stage actors and you've got your cinema actors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's such a delineation yeah. in terms of how they are treated mm-hmm. how they are paid yeah i mean huge, the payments huge
0: discrepancy huge I mean, a lot of actors who love theater more they do movies and tv just so they can survive yeah and then leave and immediately go to theater yeah. as fast as they can. I just read an article about with Maggie Smith. Mm. Don't we all love Maggie Love Smith? her. And she was talking about the, the two hugest, most well-known roles that she has ever had, which are um, the part in uh, Harry Potter. McGonagall. And, mm-hmm, and the part she has on Downton Abbey. And she was like, it's not fulfilling work. Mm. I didn't feel challenged. Uh, she was like, I really want to be doing theater. The woman's in her 80s. <laughs> She'd rather be on stage doing eight shows a week. Yeah. But like...
1: Than making a million dollars an episode. Right. Sitting in a chair all day, right. basically.
0: Mm-hmm. No, mind it's, you, she's excellent. No, she's shows.
1: amazing. No, like, we're not taking she, away. She w- like, talent is talent. That's just
0: the, the thing is like, in order to survive, <laughs> like... And have a an income where you can like buy a home and all these different things. Like you you have to get some television work. You have to get some film work because it's just like yeah the discrepancy is so huge. It's
1: ridiculous.
0: That's that's like the other thing that's really fascinating about Hal. Mm. Right? Is that, oh yeah, that's your <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that like his story about? He, I already told you about what happened when he was a little boy, but his family was at first, like, quite wealthy, and then the Great Depression happened. Mm. And so in, he said, around 1938, they lost most everything, and they ended up in this little apartment on the Upper West Side, and he would be sitting at his window, looking out the window, feeling terrible about the world and about how things were, and he would go to opening nights and all these different things in his, in his mind. And at 14, he was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Because he was finding himself walking through the streets of Central Park talking to himself. And it's like to have a nervous breakdown and feel like the world is closing in on you. At such a young age Mm -hmm. and somehow miraculously be able to pull yourself up out of that and be like, no, 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 I have to survive and I have to push forward in order to pursue my dreams and then have dreams that, like Pamela said, most people are like, but what's your backup plan? Mm -hmm. Hal never had a backup plan. He like I said he was listening to the opera when he was a little boy <laughs> with a cardboard box some nurses and soldiers because that's what you could get at the five and dime and he was directing shows. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't this is what he always wanted to do. And I think um I think encouraging kids dreams. Yeah. Encouraging people who are going to pursue their dreams instead of immediately um, putting a black cloud over them right. It's hard enough to be a creator. Oh it's completely. So difficult to be one and all of the mental gymnastics that you already have to go through in order to create a thing and then to have somebody not be supportive. Not just
1: somebody, almost everybody yeah. from family members yeah. and mm-hmm. friends to complete strangers, strangers that decide they're gonna give their two cents whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. It really is. I mean, the number of times I heard it when I was in high school, too, because I told them I'm going to move to New York and I want to be on broad. I'm going to be on Broadway. Yeah. But that can't be accepted. They have to, well, they have to warn me, and it's all coming from a good place where they want me to succeed, so you've got to have a backup plan. Well, I don't because I'm not going to go to college. That's another zinger for you. What else, are, <laughs> what else can you say to me about that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like, you know. I think actually, though, that kind of helped me a lot because I I tend to fight against authority. (laughs) So if authority is saying, well, no, no, college is the next step. Uh, Not for me. Sorry. The
0: exact opposite of what you
1: Exactly. You know, I didn't enjoy my time this last 12 years. So I shall bid adieu to the academic system (laughs) and find my own way. Thank you so very much. Yeah. But it was, yeah. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous stuff like that. So to tell a 14-year-old that he can't have his dream because his dream isn't going to pay the bill, while or his he was already... right, while he was already in a depressed state, yeah. because honestly, at that, that time too, to it. right, but during the Great Depression, though, kids had to grow up real fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't any way around no. it. No. So at 14, he was probably closer to his mid 20s. Totally,
0: totally. I mean. The remember the sketch of him as a fourteen year old in Central Park. He's wearing a suit and tie. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know any fourteen year olds who. I mean, most. Oh, that might have years,
1: been that time of. Of course. Of the, but like, yeah.
0: Now it's like you get. Can you just pull up your pants? Like right. That's all. I just would like you to wear a belt. <laughs> if I could get you an updo. Or belt, just
1: a pair of pants that fits. Something.
0: I'm cool with anything, that. Just so that, like, you know, they're above your butt. I'd be real happy. <laughs> I feel like that's where we're at at this point in time. Um, but yeah, so like he pulled himself up out of that space and then, uh, he went to college and then he walked into the agent's office and did a resume of all the shows he wished he had directed, but had (laughs) directed none of them and like gave it to this agent who was on the phone with, um, with, uh, a a man who ran a summer stock company and he, (laughs) he got the job and bankrupted the summer stock company in two <laughs> shows. So funny. Um,
1: <laughs> Maybe not for the summer no, stock company. No, <laughs> definitely not for the
0: summer stock company. But like in hindsight, I mean, now you can be like, "How Prince bankrupted ours. You know what I mean? Right. Like, tried to bring it back or whatever, but it's just like, I was like, oh my. But it's like nowadays you could never do that. No. Like because the internet would blow up right. while you're lying. Yes. You know, like you can't just do As that. As well it should.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The thing is, is that if those things hadn't worked out right. for him the way that they had, he wouldn't be who he was. Well, I think,
1: well... And I will just go a step further and say that I think that we put too much stock nowadays in what you have done already. Oh, totally. When if I'm a new bee, how am I supposed to get the, the experience that you want me to have if you don't give me the chance to get experience? Totally.
0: And it's a, it's a thing that I think a lot of us have um, butted up against. Yeah. It's a thing I'm constantly butting up against and it's just why I just do my own stuff because... Yeah. It's like, if you could just have a little bit of imagination. Right. It's like everyone I work with is like, oh, she's great at this. Why aren't you doing this full time? (laughs) Uh, You, if you want to talk to your mouth to God's (laughs) ear. (laughs)
1: Thank you. I do. I do remember, you know, because this happens every (laughs) once in a while. This is maybe not the best thing to ever say to anybody. (laughs) But, uh, I had just finished a, I was playing Pennywise in Urinetown mm-hmm. and one of my, one of the other guys in the cast who I had also done another show with uh-huh. said, ah, oh, why don't they want to cast you? I don't get it. Yeah. And you're just like, thanks. I, I, I don't know how to take that.
0: Right. Also, I don't know how to answer. Like, I, right. I, I don't know. Would you like, can you talk oh, to like, them? Oh, why
1: aren't you working? Yeah. Gosh, I just wish I knew, because if I know, then I could actually, you know, get cast. That would be kind of, that would be thrilling for me. Thanks. I, I, it's just such a, I mean, and I get it. It's coming from a place of like, you're so talented and it is frustrating. It's frustrating for people that are watching it happen to talented people. And it's equally, if not horrendously Mm. more (laughs) frustrating for the people that are going through it.
0: Right. Right. Totally. Totally,
1: we need more Hal Prince's in this world. We need people like Hal Prince, like Kristen Plachet, who I mentioned earlier, like Craig Burns, Mm -hmm. who are willing to take a step outside of what society wants and of what the money people behind them want, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and say, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I see something special about this person.
0: It's fun to watch, like West Side Stories. uh... It started previews this week or opened? Mm-hmm. I think it opened. And like 90% of the cast, it's their Broadway debut. Yeah. Which is flipping awesome. I know, I love that. It's flipping awesome. And it's just like, this is the kind of Broadway we should be having more of mm. and and less of, let's just put a name in.
1: Now, I will say, I'm yeah. going to put a little bit of a poll on this, okay. because with a show that has already proven itself right. that people are going to come to anyway, right. it doesn't matter as much if you've got names. Right.
0: But like, look at all the shows that have their own name that they still put a name in. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there's so many shows like that. Yeah. I'm just like, but we don't need a name for this. Everybody knows this show. Yeah, just put somebody who need like who would be amazing. Right, no know, one knows. Why? Why can't you do that?
1: Not enough Twitter followers.
0: I, I, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
1: It does make me want to like. I wish that he was sitting on this couch with us, and we oh, could ask him like what he <laughs> thinks of so the me. way things are going now. No.
0: That it. He, he he was able to touch a little bit on it because he, he definitely talked about, like, just the cost of trying to fund yeah. a show anymore when he was, you know, he said when he first started out, it was, like, a couple thousand dollars, tens of thousands. Mm-hmm. Now it's millions, you know. It was, like, Hamilton was, like, $12 million. Uh, I just, I really
1: don't understand where that money goes.
0: so expensive to to get a show up anymore. and Which
1: is why I feel like we've got so many episodes to talk about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. It's really true.
1: Because if you have already put all of your money into something, yeah. then you don't have time or freedom to let it fail for a little right, bit.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. It has to
1: succeed immediately.
0: And that's sort of, I mean, and, that, and that's sort of what like Beetlejuice has the... Because it has Warner Brothers behind right. it, it had the the ability to kind yeah. of wait until the audience found it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I'll, I mean, but you would you would think that with SpongeBob, right? Like, like it had Nickelodeon, but it was it was doing like five hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, which is not very good. And no, um, especially for a show that's not cheap like that.
1: That is a, and it was a huge cast. Yeah, yeah, it
0: was. So so you know I. It's just really interesting to listen to, to this man who's been around for so many years just talk about. He's like, I don't know if I could be producing anymore because it's so expensive. And he has 21 Tonys. You know, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, then the other thing that was like really, I loved about his story, he hmm. goes, he works for George Abbott. He goes to the <laughs> yes. Korean War. He gets drafted into the Korean War. He, and then George Abbott says, when you come back, you'll have a job, kid. He writes to George Abbott for the two years he's gone. George Abbott never writes him back. (laughs) He, he, um, the war ends. He comes home before he goes home to his parents, who are probably like, (laughs) my son, you know what I mean? Before he goes home to his parents, he's like, I'm sorry, I've got to make a stop first. And, uh, George Abbott was working on, what was he working on?
1: I can't remember the name I remember of the, the show, show
0: that George George Abbott was working on. A show we'd all know. I can't remember yeah. the name of it right now. He goes directly to the theater as soon as he is finished, and George <laughs> George's assistant is like is like the has the normal response to seeing someone who's just come back from war, and George Abbott <laughs> says, "Back so soon?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "It's it's been two years." And he's like, "Well, time goes by fast."
1: <laughs> but then he's like, "Oh, but I do have a job, I for have you. <laughs> job
0: for you." And he he becomes the ASM at Wonderful Town. Yeah, and um, becomes friends with the gentleman who's the stage manager there. I have his name, Bobby. Let's see, Bobby Griffith. Um, and there is when he decides to become a producer. They're like, "Well, we we should." He's like, we should become producers, so they do, Um, and they get, they decide that the first show ends up being the Pajama Game, and they decide that if they get George to direct, they'll have a name attached to it, so that they'll be able to get funding. Um, They have a great interview with George Abbott on there, who's in his 90s, I think by that point, and says, they were telling me the story, and I was like, I don't think this is going to work, but the thing that I loved so much about all of the interviews there, um, also when I watched um, I rewatched the documentary The Best Worst Thing That Could Have Ever Happened and on YouTube um, there's a few other interviews with Hal from when Prince of Broadway came um, came to Broadway um, and also there's one from 1978 which is magical because it's Baby Hal, baby Joel Grey, baby Steven. (laughs) It's
1: so great.
0: Just go, go on YouTube and watch it. It's just delightful. Um... And it's it's when Hal's about to go direct Evita for the first time. It's super fun.
1: Oh, I loved the conversation that uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber was having, too, yeah, yeah. about Evita specifically, yeah. because Hal brought so much. Mm-hmm. And this is what I loved about the collaboration, because yeah. even these, like, big people, Stephen Sondheim, obviously, but also, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, oh, yeah, Evita wouldn't have been the show it was without Hal. Yeah. He gave me this whole idea For Perone and for this, you know, for, I can't remember the name of the song, but the song where they do the musical chairs with, uh, with one Perone and the other, uh, military men. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I thought that was amazing, but he did that with several shows, but I, and I loved what he said.
0: Cabaret was a cool story
1: too. Oh, and I was thinking more about the story that he was telling about Candor and Ebb, and the Kiss of the Spider Woman, yes. where he kept saying, "I don't the like song. this song. The song yes. doesn't work. So rewrite it." And they would rewrite it and send it to him, and he would say, "Nope, that's the same song. Rewrite it." And they would rewrite it. No, that's the same song too. It's just backwards. <laughs> Write it again. <laughs> and so they finally go, "You know, Hal, you're on vacation right now, and you don't have anything to lose in this. Like we're, you know, we're we are rewriting this song over and over again." But they finally wrote the song again, and he was like, "It's the best song in the show." Uh-huh. I can't remember the name of the. Song right now
0: I, I just remember um i remember uh cheetah is in a yeah. white tuxedo yes with, um, oh my black, gosh what is the name uh, of that song piping, and she's and she's dancing and i can't, I can't
1: it's the, the latin sounding oh,
0: yes. oh shoot but i'm gonna look so, it up because what he says is basically when you tell a writer to rewrite something and they come back to you and they say um and they push back on it. It's because they don't think that they can write anything better. Yeah. And it's that that constant belief that Hal has in the people he's working yes. with, it's like an unshakable belief that deep within them is something magical. He knows it's there, and he's going to he's going to push you until you 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 birth it. Right? Like yeah.
1: What's it da da da, da. But I I can't can't tell what the the title title is.
0: But that's totally what it is. That's the right. mm
1: -hmm. Uh, What you want. I don't know. Anyway, but it's. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Yes. That's what I loved about him Yeah, because he knew if he had to push you and then he said something like, I would ask them the question, do you think this is the, do you think this is the best it can be? And their answer would either be, um, I mean, I guess, you know, this could change or yeah. that could change. And then he goes, but then you'd have, Oh no, he was speaking specifically about Steven uh, Sondheim and he, Steven would be like, guy eh, could change this up. It could be a little bit better here or there. But then every once in a while he'd be like, that's the song. Like yeah. that's that's gonna that's gonna make the show. Oh no! Or no, Stephen, you're gonna make that song or something yeah, like that.
0: Stephen said, "No, this is what it was." Stephen would Stephen Sondheim would say to him, um, uh, <laughs> he, 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 "He would say, um, just work on it first
1: Yeah. So that oh, that's knew, right. Mm-hmm, that's right. So
0: that he knew when he got to the rehearsal room and will yeah. started working on it, he'd be like, "Oh." Mm-hmm. Like, they... Oh, so yeah. So cute. They, like, even Stephen even says in the documentary, he's my best friend. So cute. I know. Like, I... That almost got me, because I was like, his memorial service, I was like, I don't think I can deal with an upset Stephen Sondheim. Oh, I can't, like, a 90-year-old Stephen Sondheim is not a thing I can handle. It's not... It's
1: not I, I mean, this is... If we're going to really get into the modeling here... <laughs> we've lost someone in this world Mm -hmm. that made such an impact and it's hard to even imagine what it's going to be like now. And I know that he wasn't as active in the business for the last decade or so.
0: I I don't know because like you look at Prince of Broadway, Mm -hmm. which like he directed, right? Yeah. And then, um, I have one of the, the women who, um, did, um, plays for the women's cycle, she has friends that were writing a musical and Hal was working with
1: them. Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: And so like when he came, when he was supposed to come back from Switzerland from his vacation, like they were supposed to be having a meeting with him, like a calendar and he had been working with them already for a while. So he was still very active doing what he loved at 91. I mean, if you watch these interviews he's you know late 80s early mm-hmm. 90s his mind is still sharp as oh that. yeah oh yeah he's using words i still i don't know i'm like that's the sat word i don't know <laughs> i don't know i i think i get the gist but i'm not quite
1: sure i'm picking it up in context yeah oh but it's it is it is a tragic thing for us to to have lost a man like them but on the positive side, yeah. so many people have been inspired by him mm-hmm. that he's not disappearing. No no no. No, 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 no. He's stardust in this community. <laughs> it's true. He'll be there for ages. He'll be there for millennia. <laughs> he's ageless. Um, I, I've told you my story. Do you want to hear it again? What story? My Hal Prince story.
0: No, I just know the Andrew Lloyd Webber story. <laughs> I don't know the Hal Prince story. I know the Andrew Lloyd Webber story. Yes. I know the Laura Bonanti story. Mm-hmm. I do not know the Hal Prince story.
1: Okay, okay, so buckle up. Tell it. This might have to be the end of the episode. I'm
0: not done, though. No. There's oh. no other things.
1: Well, then I'll wait. Okay. I'm just saying, sorry. it's getting close to my bedtime. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm fading fast. You're fading. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I
0: do want to talk about... <laughs> mm. Um, oh, I did want to talk a little bit about Hal's wife.
1: Oh, love her.
0: Yeah, I really because that and um and what happened after Sweeney Todd and a quote from Mandy Patinkin because the quote mm. from Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, is I know exactly what you're going say. What our whole show is about. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um. So the reason why I want to talk about um, Judy Prince. Is because one of the things that Hal said about her was that, like, the whole reason he did any, most of the shows he did was because of her. Mm. Like, she would say, she would ask him the right questions, and and she, she reformed his version of what success was, because she got very angry when he would say, she said to him, I wish you'd stop calling things either a flop, or a, or no, failure, or a, um...
1: No, or it was, a hit. Yeah, a hit or a flop. A
0: hit or a flop. And she, w- she would get mad about that. And she said, I wish you'd start calling them a success or a failure. And the reason why she wanted him to change his his um, verbiage around these issues was because she felt like there were a lot of things, and he said this, you know, that were an artistic success but not, not necessarily a financial success. Yes. Right? Like he felt like, you know, and so... She wanted him to really have the correct perspective because if at the end of the day he felt like he did the absolute best he could do on something and he was actually really proud of it, even if the audiences didn't quite understand it, then that didn't mean he failed. That didn't mean that it was a flop. It didn't mean that it was a waste. It didn't mean that. It just meant that the audience didn't understand but that that was still something that you could be proud of. And a lot of those shows... That have found audiences and mm-hmm. people. They have cult followings, and yes. people love them. Yes, *Merrily
1: We Roll Along*.
0: Totally, it's a huge one. I mean, there's there's a movie that's going to take 20 years because they're they're doing *Merrily We Roll Along* in increments until the actors are the age that they're supposed to be.
1: I think that's amazing. I'm that's so going to be really cool. It's going
0: to be so great. Um, and so that's why I want to talk of I wanted to talk about Judy Prince because you know. When we're talking about, like, shows like Fosse Verdon, that just happened, and these very powerful women, which, you know, we, who, Judy doesn't have 21 Tonys, right? Right. But, like, the reason Hal has 21 Tonys is because of Judy. Yeah. And... When there's a
1: strong man, there's an equally strong woman behind them. If
0: not stronger. Right. Um. And so then, the reason why I also wanted to talk about Sweeney Todd was because Sweeney Todd... Everybody knows this show. It won a record number of Tony Awards. Yeah,
1: it swept. It
0: swept. And then Hal said he entered into the longest drought of his entire career <laughs> yep. immediately following the biggest hit of his entire career. It was nine years.
1: Wow. I don't remember hearing nine that.
0: Nine years. Jeez. Oh, yeah. He would he would he would he would direct a show. It would get terrible reviews, and the thing that he would always do is 10 a.m. the next morning. He would always have yeah. a cal- he would always have um, a meeting on his calendar that 10 a.m. for the next show. Yeah, for the next show, it was 10 a.m. after the opening night. He would always do that, and there are a lot of producers nowadays, young people who like try to follow the Hal Prince model because the thing was like he never, ever gave up, even during the longest drought of his career and things like merrily we roll along that i mean sadly you know if you watch the best worst thing that ever happened you'll see that you know they they say basically that steven and how didn't um do another collaboration after that and it wasn't like they weren't best friends because they're still best friends you can find plenty of pictures of them laughing in each other oh yeah faces. <laughs> like i said that documentary was done last year and steven's like he's my best friend like they just right. they were brothers. But it was such a huge wound for them because it birthed, like, if you watch that documentary, the amount of actors and creators that we love now, you know, for our generation came, like, they grew up, like, loving Hal and Steven, Mm -hmm. loving them, you know? (laughs) And so they felt like they let all these kids down. Yeah. And that just broke them. Just broke them. Um just love those men I just okay love them. so me too I know.
1: what so, uh, I know what the quote is but yeah, tell yeah. me the Mandy Patinkin quote that you've got
0: yeah so the Mandy Patinkin quote is, is it? okay one of the greatest gifts that the guys like Hal and Sondheim can give us is when they fail because if those guys can fail doing the best they can so can we they forget what a gift their struggle is because they are so fallible and great at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm like, that's what our entire podcast is about. Right. That right there.
1: Yeah. That, because we call them flops. Yeah. In the way that we we talk about this show, Broadway right. flops, six, you know, hits and misses, yeah. whatever it is. But behind those flops. Mm-hmm. Are some very talented people, not just Stephen and Hal, but incredibly talented people who just didn't have a great show that time. And the important thing is that even if you do have a failure Mm -hmm. or a a show that isn't successful in the critical sense, Mm -hmm. that you just keep on trying. Right. Because chances are, maybe not the next one, but one of the times that you try yeah. again is going to be the time that you succeed. Yeah. And we will all be blessed for it.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, even some of those flaps, like, we just love
1: <laughs> Yeah. All right, so now I've got seven minutes to tell you tell my story. Me the story. All right. So we were in Washington, D.C. with the Phantom Tour. Mm-hmm. We had just finished the show bow to the audience everyone's clapping they're all on their feet it's great curtains close and just to the right standing unobtrusively with his glasses perched on his forehead Hal Prince and we all see this and we're all kind of looking at each other going do you guys see is that is that Hal Prince like and so it's like this hubbub that starts mm-hmm. and then all and then all of a sudden he just walks in he's like, "Hey kids, uh, I'm uh, I didn't know you were here. I'm here in Washington D.C. I'm here to see my friend Mario, but uh, I saw that you were here, so I wanted to just stop by. You guys are great. Keep up the good work." And then he left and it was like the most amazing experience. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't, he didn't see see the the show. I, I
0: know. (laughs) I was visiting my friend, and I had to come by and say hi. It's like he's just like your next door neighbor.
1: That's exactly what it felt like. (laughs) Like hey kids, and he called us kids, and I love that. Hey kids, I was just in. I just happened to be in town, and I saw that you guys were playing. I just wanted to say, and it was just. I mean, it was (laughs) truly remarkable. It's and it's one of those experiences that I will never ever forget. And the feeling that I had at the time that it happened, because I remember, like, blue curtain, velvet curtain closed. And then the lights, you know, we have to wait for the lights to come up again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Lights come up. <laughs> Is that how I think that's how It was amazing. You couldn't see that acting just then I know, because I just remembered that it this was, was a podcast. It was really great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was looking around, searching for... I was looking at the other people on stage with me, asking if they knew that that was Hal Prince. That was what was going on. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, it was it was really remarkable. But that, that right there yeah. is the kind of person that Hal Prince was, is, and forever shall be remembered being, yeah. is just that true human being, kind collaborative, compassionate.
0: And his, uh, a lot of people said his in- infectious.
1: Oh yeah. Everyone said infectious. Oh I love it.
0: His Passion voice. and Passion. excitement. Yes. Yeah. I love that. This is, I, I promise we'll end on this note. I think he, he had so much energy at the very beginning that he, he was like, I knew I was a pain. I knew I was a pain. He <laughs> was just so excited. And so on every legal pad at the start of like every show, he would just write in all caps, "Watch it," <laughs> because he knew he was annoying, and he was he was didn't want he didn't want to be annoying. He was just so excited, yeah, you know. And so then like his in, that infectious excitement and joy just like permeated. And Mandy Patinkin said, "He's just so positive. Sometimes you want to punch him." Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I feel like Mandy Patinkin is kind of the exact opposite yeah. of Hal Prince, which is I think why yeah. he would he would just yeah. But anyway,
0: Although yeah. He, I mean he,
1: he he's a it. he's an amazing. No, I'm not no, no. saying
0: right. But when you when you see like the interviews, like like even Merrily, I love Mandy said he was so jealous he wanted to be in the show with the kids so bad. <laughs> and he was like I was too old. Yep.
1: Yeah. Poor Mandy. He just
0: I mean whatever became of loved him. him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everyone just, I mean, everyone yeah. just wanted to be around those well, Yeah,
1: it's true. It's true.
0: One of my friends told me a great Steven story yesterday, and then I was like, I totally get why they were friends, because they're both just like, <laughs> the nicest. Yeah. And they're just like really get excited There's, about the well, smallest thing. And
1: what, he, what Hal said he thought the most important thing in finding an actor was is truth. Yeah. And they were truthful people. They yeah. were true human beings. They were true people. Yeah. And I think that is what it is. Yeah, really. Truth yeah. is a magnet for truth. Mm-hmm. Alright. Sure. We have to sign off now. Do. Thank you guys for Thanks listening. listening. <laughs> Alright. Bye. Yeah. <laughs>